This week, butternut delays speed reductions further. I burned my entire Wednesday sitting in council chambers yelling at committee about speed limits. I suffer so you don't have to. Thank you, Troy. We'll also cover counselors hiring their children, which is something that is unlikely to happen in the future. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking, Speaking Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 30. We are in the throes of a provincial election, and it makes it very hard to find local municipal news because every article is about Jason Kenney. But we do have some bits of news in the rapid fire segment. The first of which, of course, is about the provincial election. With Premier Notley dropping the writ this week, Alberta starts its provincial election season. Albertans will go to the polls on April 16th. While Don Iveson has said that he is unlikely to endorse any particular party, Mayor Nenshi of Calgary didn't hold back this week, calling Jason Kenney, quote, unfit to lead this province. The province eagerly awaits hearing Nenshi's unabridged thoughts, which is likely to get recorded on a hidden camera next time he's in an Uber. Big hockey news this week. After reading endless Twitter posts that the Oilers wouldn't make the playoffs ever, and to just give up, our Edmonton hockey team secured a spot in the playoffs. Winning on Saturday marked the 10th victory in a row for our hockey team, the best streak since their 2013-2014 season. The Edmonton Oil Kings will now enter the 2019 Western Hockey League playoffs as the champions of the Central Division. You knew we were talking about the Oil Kings, right? Why are you confused? I thought the Twitter post made it very clear. A U of A study has found that the cause of death of 53 cats between 2007 and 2017 was coyotes. While some of the details are grisly, the researchers hope that the cat owners in the city take pause before letting their cats out unsupervised. After learning that the cause of death was coyotes, we reached out to the previous suspect for comment. By long-distance message, the Mars rover replied, I was on another planet, and you guys still blamed me for killing cats. Speaking Municipally is a member of the Alberta Podcast Network powered by ATB, and this week we're going to tell you about the Edmonton Community Foundation, which acts as a bridge between donors and charities to create a strong, vibrant community for generations to come. You can start an endowment fund yourself or with a group, and once it reaches $10,000, it can start distributing funds. As we've mentioned before, the ECF also publishes the Well Endowed Podcast, so you should check that out. You can learn more about everything the Edmonton Community Foundation does at ecfoundation.org. So, Mac... City Council in Edmonton, they're all just like a big, happy family. Yeah, you get that feeling on the, in, in the hallway, as, as they say. Because, of course, their family is there, in the case of Tony Katarina's office. We talked previously about Tony Katarina hiring his son, Rocco Katarina, who ran for Ward 4 Councillor. And this is back in the news this week again, with Elise Stolte publishing a column that it's time to raise the bar and ban patronage in city councillors' offices. What was the crux of this article? Basically, she identified that Council Services Committee back in February uh, passed a motion to revise uh, uh, their HR policy, essentially. And one of the sections in the HR policy um, is to eliminate actual or perceived conflicts of interest or favoritism. And it says it will do that by making sure that counselors cannot hire relatives to work in their offices. So at the risk of making a hot take... Um, this is article one of two that Elise published in the past week that I uh, can't really get behind at all. I mean, there there are points in this article I will say that I agree with, right? So she writes, uh, it says something about the way each counselor approaches the job if they hire somebody who's related to them. You know, she wonders if they're 
ready to coast or if they're treating it as a four-year chance to work hard and make a difference. She also says she'd like her elected representative to search, find, and get the best people, right? The smartest community liaison possible. I agree with her on both of those issues, but I'm not sure that's a reason to prevent them from hiring family. Yeah, so I had talked previously about this, and there were some justifications I had for, eh, it doesn't really matter if you hire a kid. But the biggest problem I had with the article is Elise constructs a very effective and very fragile straw man argument there. Yeah. Like, the idea that a counselor needs to search for the best and brightest research assistant and only they can be uh, the person that manages their calendar... I just don't buy it. Who posts on the city of Edmonton website and expects to get a world-class candidate coming to work for $45,000 for a full-time position? Yeah, I think the other thing you're getting at is these are people that don't have huge positions of power, right? So in the article, she says, you can imagine eyebrows would raise if the city manager or the head of Edmonton Transit hired their son or daughter to manage the office. And you would raise eyebrows, yeah. That may be true, but that's not what we're talking about here, right? And like, granted, because an executive assistant is probably listening to this podcast right now, <laughs> sorry, we you're very you important. Work. You're a special snowflake. You make rainbows and make everyone's jobs easier. Thank you for serving constituents. Yeah. And in many cases, an executive assistant does proxy the counselor's duties. They'll right. respond to some emails. They'll liaise with constituents, but they're not voting at committee. They're not actually the ones implementing policy. They may be suggesting it and they, in fact, may be drafting policy if they are in sync with the counselor as a son or daughter might be. Right. Um, But in general, like an executive assistant, in terms of their job description, it's researching stuff that the council directs them to research and managing a calendar and then managing general office and executive assistant tasks. It's not a huge bureaucratic power wielding office. Yeah. I mean, it certainly makes me, you know, a little squeamish that somebody hires their kid. It's not who I would choose to hire for sure. Um, and I can understand why businesses have rules about nepotism, but on the other hand, it's their staff. I'm not even squeamish about it. I think it's totally a hundred percent kosher and granted, maybe the union and the actual corporate structure that fills these positions makes it less political than I give it credit for. Right. But I think that the counselor's office staff is a hundred percent a political position. I think if a counselor wants to hire some guy named Fred, who they've known for ever, and Fred's a horrible drunk and he is not good at his duties, but the counselor wants to hire that person, they should be able to because they're a political appointee. And they'll be held accountable at the election. Exactly. That's the other part uh, that of Elisa's article. She argues that, you know, we need counselors to be hiring the best and brightest to most accurately reflect the needs of the wards and to do the best for the constituents. No, no, the counselor is the point of contact. You voted the counselor to do best for your constituents. If your counselor is picking a bonehead as his staff hire, then the counselor is a bonehead and don't vote for them. So I don't think she says this in her article, but what do you think about the position that these are the leaders of our city and they're setting an example by who they hire? Like what kind of a message does it send to administration if Tony Caterita hires the son, are you concerned about that? I think it sends the message that if, uh, you know, Linda Cochran wants to run for mayor, she can hire whoever <laughs> she wants for her staff. Fair I, enough. I think it's a different position. And Got it. this conflation of the two and making making a counselor EA into be a city staff position 
is a problem. If the city wants to provide executive assistance services to counselor's office and have a fully unionized position and it's like the city has a pool of executive assistants that just like have a set number of hours to provide to each counselor's, fine. That's one thing, in which case, absolutely 100% kids should not be allowed because that's... That is flagrantly nepotism. Sure, yeah. But this is a political position, and I just don't agree at all. And I think the worst part is, this is going to be disallowed. Right. Yeah, uh, the policies are coming back April 29th. It's very unlikely, I think, that council would vote it down. No, because Tony Katarina is the only counselor currently having a uh, member of his family um, employed. employed. Yeah. Previously, Bev Esslinger did hire a family member, and Brian Anderson hired his daughter, who then worked in Tony Katarina's office last year, in addition to Tony Katarina's son. So Tony Katarina really likes the familial familial connections. But yeah, like we said, this is going to be, there's there's no way this doesn't get voted unanimously in as a change to the policy. And good news for you, Rocco, grandfathered in. Uh, the one interesting point is you had read the policy and it does define who family members are. It does. It says spouse, including common law and same-sex spouse, parents, including step-parents and legal guardians, child, including stepchild, sibling, and any person who lives with the counselor on a permanent basis. I wonder, some of these aren't direct familial, like stepchild. What if you hire someone and then marry their mother? Do they get fired because they're now a stepchild? Because that's not explicit grandfather in. And that's the whole problem I have with this. If you're saying a direct blood relative, fine. Okay, that's one thing. But it also doesn't matter. I could be far closer with my buddy from the gym than I am with my estranged son. Right. And is that nepotism? Maybe. I don't actually buy the nepotism word overall because hiring is 100% networking. That's what, if you're in university and you're looking for a job, people say, you got to network, network, network because connections are how you get a job. Why are we pretending that blood connections are any different than any other connections? But we'll move on to number two article that Elise Stolte wrote this week that really did not resonate with Troy. And that was about 40 kilometer an hour speed limits and speed limits in general. Uh, right. So this week, council was contemplating the reduction of speed limits in the city of Edmonton. Again. Uh, again. Uh, <laughs> for the <laughs> 11 billionth time. And we'll, we'll get to that, I promise. But Elise wrote an article about Holyrood and how they were upset with the traffic safety in their community. So they built commemorative benches to encourage the community to sort of take agency and, you know, experience the street and raise awareness and community buy-in and fine yeah that's a good thing but the conclusion she drew from the article is that we don't need regulation we need community buy-in and some people may be offloading their civic responsibility to regulators on this file when actually the community should be rising up so instead of taking ownership or accountability for their own actions just saying oh council just needs to do their job yeah and it was real boneheaded take. I'm I'm comfortable saying that because what gets me is in Hollywood, somebody complained about seeing the bench every day and how it's a reminder of what happened in the community. It's like, that's the whole point, <laughs> right? So on that point, I agree with her, right? Like, yeah. you know, this is a good reminder of what happened and you should think about your own behavior, but that's not an excuse. Counselors made the sort of same point when we talked about speed limits and I sat in city council chambers for a good nine hours. I, when I was biking there, uh, I biked through a puddle that was iced over. 
when I biked over it, the ice cracked and I fell in and sat in city council for nine hours with wet socks. So I was already <laughs> cranky when I started talking to these counselors. Uh, their commentary didn't help. But many counselors made the same point. Like, how are we going to get community buy-in? If we don't have community buy-in, this doesn't have any effect. And various things to that flavor. But that's not an excuse, right? They still have a job to do. And it also doesn't make sense either. And Tim Querengesser, who also spoke, brought up the very salient point that 50 years ago, no one wore seatbelts. Right. And then we passed a law saying you have to wear seatbelts. And now you or I, it's unfathomable for us to get in a car without buckling up. No doubt. And it feels unsafe. That was a case 100% of regulators driving change. And people were upset about it. You talk to old people and they're still upset about it. Uh, But regulators drove the bus and they said, look, we know the data says this keeps us safer. We're forcing it down your throat and you're going to deal with it. Right. We've known for years that speeds are too high on our local roadways and we have the data and we have city projections saying that if we had uh, 30 kilometer hour speed limits on our roadways, we would have had 22% less fatalities in the past 10 years. Um, we, we just know that all those people are dead because we didn't act. And to contemplate that we shouldn't, it struck me as absurd. So what did they decide to do? So that's a tough question to answer. So the motion that was passed at the end of the committee meeting was to pursue 40 kilometer an hour on local roadways and have administration prepare bylaw amendments for next month that comes back. And then if committee approves them, they'd go to public hearing. So not going to 30 everywhere like some people wanted. 40 only on local roadways, not necessarily residential, but they've got to be classified as local. And I, In fact, one step further, only local residential. Local industrial roadways would not be. Okay. Uh, and collector roads with houses on them wouldn't be 40. Yeah. And playground zones remain 30. Correct. It seems on the surface like it's a compromise uh, because, you know, some people want 30, some people want 50. Let's meet in the middle at 40. Except 40, the solution as proposed, is actually the worst possible solution that city council could have come up with. Why do you say that? So, one, it's local roadways only. So, most of the roads in your community that you think, hey, these speeds are too high on these roads... Those are probably collector roadways, just because collector roadways are by nature a bit wider. Sure. However, most playgrounds and school zones also fall on collector roadways, not local roadways. So you have the common complaint in Edmonton about speeds keep changing. Well, speeds are going to change one more time because now collector roadways are going to go 50, 30, 50, 30. Then you turn right and go 40, whereas instead it would just be 50, 30. Now there's an additional zone the confusion factor has increased. The speeds haven't materially decreased very much. And we haven't really gotten anywhere with this. Now, I'm not going to say they shouldn't have done it because I'm advocating any progress forward. It's a step in the right direction, but a very small one. And that leads me to the point. I don't know that this is actually going to be what gets passed. So, like I said, this is an emotion for administration to prepare draft bylaw amendments that will come back to committee in a month. And then committee will have their way with them, and then it'll go up to council for public hearing. I expect that what we're going to see out of committee is one of two things. I don't think we're going to see 40 on local roadways as the solution. One of the potential amendments that I see coming to committee, if council can get the support, is 40 on collectors and 30 on local roadways. 
which would solve so many of the problems and it also reduces speeds on collectors. That's one potential good solution. The problem with that solution is getting suburban councillors on board. Right. Uh, the Hendersons, the Knack, even though he's technically a suburban councillor, uh, but Henderson, Knack, McKean, sure, these guys are all on board. Walters might be on board for half his ward, but not on board for the other half. And he said as such a council. But getting the Bangas, the Nichols, the Zadix on board, it's unlikely to happen. This might be a good time to remind councillors that they vote on issues that affect the whole city, not just their own wards. Yes. Um, and that actually leads to one of the ideas that I think is most probably going to pass, which came from Julie Cusick last year when we talked about speed limits. And that's a core slow zone. So you take a boundary, say maybe the inner ring road from White Mud to the Yellowhead and then from 170th Street to 75th Street. Or like the Minter neighborhood overlay or something. Yeah, some sort of core-ish area and say residential speeds are low here. And maybe you even do blanket 30. Right. Uh, and in fact, I know Hazeline and Richie probably would support that and counselors could get behind that because... You know, the different suburban contexts aren't affected by So this. then Windermere and those types of places stay 50 or whatever they are. Yeah. And I think that has a lot of support because you could even get the suburban councillor support. So I think we're going to see that sort of amendment be proposed and get a lot of positive support. So in many ways, I don't think the motion we saw today is what we're going to end up with. But that all remains to be seen with council. So you said this was maybe a little bit of a compromise what was brought forward this week you you mentioned the 30 50 30 was there other factors you think that led to council going in this direction well so i think council had already pre-decided way before they heard it and the reason i say that is because i got an email last wednesday i think i mentioned about it scott johnston at 6 right. said telling me that administration was going to propose a 40 kilometer speed limit right now administration didn't propose anything and this was the crux of my comments a year ago administration was directed to reclassify roadways so one of the big problems in edmonton you have is you don't know when you look at a road what speed it should be because our classification system is weird and nobody knows what those things mean right yeah. arterial collector like who knows so administration was directed to look at the actual types of roadways we have, what they look like, and then develop universal maximums for them. Administration opted instead to do none of that whatsoever. <laughs> um, they actively did none of the things that council asked them for. And the report they got back, it said, uh, in about three months, we will consider starting to do the work you asked us to do 11 months ago. So I had said in my comments that that was a bad thing. But the point of that is there was nothing in the admin report to have leaked to Scott Johnston. And Scott Johnson, he was real certain uh, about 40 and 40 never really came up in any of the counselor's comments when they were asking us questions. It didn't come from the panel. Mm. So I'm thinking someone had in their head 40. This is the motion we're going to make because right. even in the room when the motion came up, we we're like, where did that come from? Because yeah. literally the motion was made minutes after there was a question to administration. Is 30 the safest speed? Yes. Do we have any reason not to pursue 30 kilometers an hour speed? No, there is no reason not to do that. Great. I propose a motion that we set it at 40. <laughs> uh, it, it was a little bit of an absurdist That is That is kind of crazy. But so that's why I'm saying 40 is probably not necessarily a compromise. Right. But it was a political decision that was predetermined. Yeah. The answer to is there any reason we shouldn't go to 30 is clearly political. Right. Yeah. Some of the administration had mentioned that, you know, like this is 
sure there is a safety argument but this is a political decision you guys are going to be the ones taking the heat for this yeah uh, there were a couple other interesting parts of this committee that I wanted to touch on. And one was John D. from Ward 3, friend of the podcast. He had an interesting line of questioning, which he tweeted. And you even saw the tweet and bumped on it. Yeah, I saw the tweet and I was like, really? Did, did I read this correctly? So he tweeted, cars are getting safer every year. And yet we having a discussion as if the opposite were true. I didn't misspeak there. He just spelled it wrong. But that's Twitter for you. So whatever. But essentially, he's saying we shouldn't be talking about speed limits because look at how safe cars are now. And in response to some questions on Twitter, you know, he talked about things like blind spot detection, backup cameras, lane assist, auto braking, and, and you know, use this sort of technology argument that who knows where we'll be tomorrow. Look at all these fantastic technologies. So while he's not wrong, I suppose, that, that there's safety features that have been added to cars, he's clearly wrong that it's safer. It's interesting that that tweet, it came at 12.27 p.m. At about 11.30 p.m., he had prefaced that by asking me that question. <laughs> uh, I was the one he singled out on committee to ask the question. So he was tweeting this from council? Uh, he was tweeting this at lunch oh, after at lunch. council. Okay. So Got it. He, he wasn't on his phone. I slag on John D. sometimes, but he was very attentive during council, and he was doing an attempt to do his job well, um, and he gets all the credit for doing that. Uh, but he asked the question, um, you know, well, cars are getting safer, so is this really necessary? So, well, yes, John, cars are getting safer for drivers. We right. have things like airbags. We have things like roll cages. But cars are moving into larger form factors like SUVs. They're getting heavier because of those aforementioned safety features, and that makes them inherently more dangerous to pedestrians, to cyclists, to other users of the roadway. Tim Querengesser, who had worked on cars for a good portion of his life, piped up with some other actual facts and figures, and John D. said no. No, you're not right. Cars are getting lighter because they're made out of plastic. And Tim's like, well, no, cars are getting heavier. Here's some data here. Right. And John D said, I'm not going to debate this, but I don't agree. And then he moved on to question some other. So your comment about him trying to do his job well, notwithstanding, he clearly wasn't open to no, any outside information. He was, it was clearly a loaded question trying to get us to walk into a trap. Grandstanding. But the problem with his trap was it was poorly laid because he was wrong. Right. Um, so that was one of the interesting comments. John D, he wasn't there for the whole meeting and he excused himself and other counselors may or may not have been happy that he stepped out of the room. It made me think about uh, an article that Taproot wrote back in 2016 talking about how to stop discounting pedestrian deaths. And there's one section in the article where it says, you know, it's talking about the messaging around vision zero and how it's come under fire. And, and, And when I read his tweet, I immediately thought of this line, you know, that, it's come under fire for putting the same onus on drivers, cyclists, and pedestrians when only one of those three has the power to kill, right? So this whole point about cars being safer for the drivers is maybe true, but that's not the point. That's not why we're talking about speed limits, right? It's because the people driving the cars are more dangerous than ever to the people who aren't in them. The other point I wanted to cover in the last point that it really came out again in this speed limit discussion and it highlights a problem we have with our public engagement in our public hearing. And I have said before on this podcast that people shouldn't be allowed to speak at council. Yes, because, you're on record. Uh, yes, I still do it because, you know, I'm going to take the allowances afforded to me. But when people speak at council and especially like at the speed limit, there was a panel of I believe it was nine of us. Okay. And there were eight of us in support of lowering the speed limits. Um, There was, you know, Steve Finkelman and Jaden Cardillo, who quite famously lost their son on White Avenue. And they were extolling some of the virtues of being bold in Vision Zero. There's me and Tim talking about, you know, the 
sort of do it now aspect. And there was uh, Kareem El Basuni, who uh, he's the famed uh, researcher at the U of A who commissioned the photo radar study that proves that photo radar is effective in Edmonton. Okay. So we had a swath of experts, advocates, but all broadly in support of lowering the speed limit because that's the correct decision. But then there was one speaker at the end um, and she wasn't like aggressively Edmonton ignorance. She was just like a professional courier and she said, I don't want to lower the speed limits for these reasons. And they're fairly typical reasons, you know, like it slows me down. I uh, takes longer. It, it takes longer. I feel like I'm just like going to get distracted because I'm going so slow and it makes me angry and it makes the drivers frustrated. All these sorts of things. Um, right. Which fairly typical are that are expected but she didn't bring much to the table that was new you know she wasn't an expert she wasn't advocating based on science or evidence she was just speaking from her experience which fine she has a voice but she got the most questions from city council Hmm. and this is not abnormal because she was tokenized essentially as the token conservative or the token dissenter she was now representing everyone who disagrees with Lowering speed limits. Exactly. And what happens when you do that, because the person who gets the most questions from council almost universally will get scrummed by the media outside. Yeah, yeah. And that happened again today. She got scrummed by the media and is now the contrarian voice that CTV News runs. But that means her voice is elevated right. by virtue of her showing up and disagreeing with the majority, which it's a sort of perverted both sideism that council doesn't intend to have because when council talks to speakers they're not actually really interested in what we have to say they're using us as political debate tools absolutely so that they can ask pointed questions at the other counselors or make statements of their own absolutely i think that this is very bad don't you agree right that's the common question but when we use this sort of tokenism and both sideism it in the public's eyes makes the debate framed very much differently When you were in that room, you had a lot of experts and a lot of advocates saying the science proves this. Go do it. Eight to one, basically. It's the same thing when you have climate change denier versus Bill Nye, the science guy. It makes it seem like there's a debate to be had here, but there's not. So this is a problem with the media, right? Not really with the public hearing process. Maybe. Uh, I think another problem is because there's that token, council is using that and giving that person a disproportionate platform because council is not allowed to debate as they might like to Mm. and they use speakers and it highlights a whole problem what we want here is we want counselors to be able to debate each other in a meaningful format and make points against each other and we don't want to disproportionately elevate non-researched non-fact-based opinions both of which you get if you eliminate public hearings in terms of allowing people to speak there, just send an email, and you allow you change the format. Because right now, counselors can't debate each other, and right. I think that's a crying shame because you don't actually get the discussions, the difference of opinions to come to a consensus. You just get, I'm coming in with a 40 kmh motion, and that's what gets put through even though administration has advised me so against it. It's a little it. bit of a charade in the room, and it would have been more entertaining for you, I'm sure, had for nine hours, had they been able to actually debate it. It would have been more entertaining had I been able to go eat lunch and watch them debate it, but because I was a political tool, I went up there to start speaking at 10.15, and they extended orders at noon, keeping me up there so that they could continue to debate through me. Right. I was sitting in that chair for over two hours, but... I'm going to digress. We covered a lot of speed limits. There's a lot of problems here, and we'll be following this next month when it comes back to council. We want to move on 
briefly, uh, because Taproot's a small media company, there was some news in the federal budget about media companies. Yeah, that's right. Uh, You mentioned off the top that we're heading into provincial election season. We're going to have a federal election later this year. And so the federal government has put out its final budget before that happens. And there was a whole section about journalism funding, really more of a paragraph, uh, following up on previous stuff that the federal government has talked about. Uh, The kind of two key takeaways, they have now introduced this concept of a qualified Canadian journalism organization, which is just a terrible acronym, QCGJO. I'm going to push back on you there. As a journalist, you should know that that's not an acronym, that's an initialism. Oh, sorry, an initialism. There you go. Very true. (laughs) (laughs) It's because I don't have my editor looking at this right now. Um, Judging by what the budget says, we are not eligible. Many organizations like Taproot are not eligible to be considered a qualified Canadian journalism organization for a myriad number of reasons. So that's a problem. Essentially, the takeaway, you know, if you want to read more about what the the budget proposed for journalism, you should go check out Jesse Brown's Twitter thread. Um, There's also some independent uh, publications in Canada who have written about this. But the takeaway is that it doesn't provide money where it's needed most. Really, this is going to perpetuate the current failed model and the legacy players like Postmedia and Torstar and others are going to get some money for... um, you know, continuing to operate a failed model. And I think there's a risk with this new um, initialism for journalism organizations that it inadvertently creates a credentialing system for journalists in Canada. You're either one of these or you're not. And if you're not, what does that mean? In practice, I'm not sure this will matter too much. If you do good work, if you commit acts of journalism, I think Canadians will see that and will treat you as journalists. You'll get invited to media things. But on the other hand, I don't think there's a country that has done this, and this is a big problem. It's a, it's a scary step for Canada to be taking. In lieu of the federal government giving Taproot money, you can just give money directly by becoming a member. That's right. You become a member, we'll take your money, and we'll do good work and provide you with lots of great information about Edmonton. Speaking of money, uh, the Alberta Podcast Network, of which we're a proud member, they give us some money to do this, as they do other podcasts, because sharing the wealth is pretty important. And one of the members sharing in that wealth is, I have some notes which is a podcast each month that's hosted by movie experts, trademark symbol, Colin McIntyre and uh, Greg Beaver. Colin McIntyre of Long John Index fame, ripping pepperonis. Uh, That's done this month, but... Very sad to see it go. I have some notes. It's still continuing on. They take a movie that sucked but had some potential and they put it through a vigorous podcasting notes process to try and turn it into a blockbuster. And we've got a little promo clip to play you. Colin, we should start a movie podcast. Oh, that's a good idea, Greg. What are you thinking? I'm thinking like a movie podcast is like a little different than other movie podcasts. Mm, So instead of celebrating movies, we take bad movies and we talk about them. No, no, no. But maybe we'll take those bad movies and we'll we'll talk about them, how they can be better, how we can fix them. Guys, I have some notes. Yeah, what do you have notes about? No, that's the podcast. I have some notes. Greg Beaver, Colin McIntyre, and me, Scott C. Bourgeois. We get together a few times a month and take a bad movie, try to punch it up. You can check us out right now at the Alberta Podcast Network or at IHaveSomeNotes.com. Wow, I do love technology. That's all we have time for this week. We're going to have a council off week next week, but we'll still be here because... We've got a show to do. Yeah, the show must go on. Until next week, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Municipally.